Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show. Welcome to the show, Truth, Justice, and the American Way, on display right here every day. And here we go. Today, all about the historic decisions handed down by five brave justices who secured the Constitution, supported the First and Second Amendments, and the right to life for the unborn, sending the issue of abortion back to the states as they reversed Roe v. Wade. They did all that while under threat from the Marxist left and the radical Dems. The Marxist left, who lead the Democrat Party, tried to intimidate these fearless five conservative justices who stood up for the Constitution and the Republic for your rights and mine. God bless this Supreme Court. Five justices made all the difference and made history. Justices Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Our guest today is one of the leading legal analysts and activists in the country. Our guest is Carrie Campbell Severino. She is president of the Judicial Crisis Network, She testifies frequently before Congress on constitutional law and briefing senators on judicial nominations. Carrie Clerk for D.C. Court of Appeals Judge David Sintel and Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Carrie earned her law degree from Harvard Law School, a B.A. in biology from Duke, and master's in linguistics from Michigan State. She's also a contributor to the Federalist and a member of the Federalist Society. Carrie Great to have you here. Welcome to the Great America Show. And let's start with the Supreme Court's decisions overturning Roe v. Wade, ruling a football coach can't be fired for praying at the 50-yard line after a game, and overturning a New York state law restricting concealed carry of a firearm. Your reaction? Yeah, I mean, that's the trifecta right there, although what's amazing is we still have a, a few more cases left, and I'm actually expecting a couple more wins uh, coming out of the court uh, in in the in one challenge to Obama's clean power plan and to uh, Biden trying to cancel the Remain in Mexico policy. So it's just a really great year at the Supreme Court for the rule of law. It, it truly is. And let, let's start with I, I'd like to start with the Second uh, Amendment uh, and the court striking down the New York concealed carry restrictions. Yeah, that is a really important case, um, in part because while the Supreme Court, you know, when I, I clerked there for Justice Thomas in, back in 2007, 2008, and that was the term that the Heller case was decided, which really took the Second Amendment out of being sort of the ugly stepchild of the, of the Bill of Rights, where no one was really enforcing it, to uh, recognizing that it, it does confer an individual right to bear arms. We do need to be enforcing it. But then the court, uh, you know, it, it had one other case right after that, and then it just didn't talk about it for a decade. And finally, finally, they had a case that clarified, because there were so many lower courts doing all sorts of goofy stuff with it. And in this case, they said that New York was saying basically, okay, fine, you have a right to bear arms. You can have your gun in your house. But when you go out, you know, first of all, you can't open carry. And second of all, you can only conceal carry 
if you have some specific threat against you. So we won't give you a permit. It's not enough to, you know, meet all the safety requirements and meet all the background checks and show that you, you are skilled weapons. You have to, you have to show that you have like a stalker or someone who has threatened you or something, just living in a dangerous neighborhood, being concerned for your safety, et cetera. That's not enough. And the court said, no, it says that the people shall bite bear arms, not certain elite people, not people who, you know, have enough, you know, scary things happening to them or a high enough profile that they count. But everyone has a right not just to keep arms, but to keep and bear arms. And I think that's a huge victory. It is a, a tremendous victory for the Second Amendment. I, and I, I'm one of those people, I, I believe in an absolute Second Amendment right, uh, in part because it's, first of all, it is a constitutional right without qualification. Uh, and secondly, I also have the feeling that there there is genuine, universal respect for one another when you know the other person is carrying uh, a, a weapon uh, on his or her person. Uh, what Do you agree with that uh, view of human nature? Oh, well, it, it's certainly, I mean, people have talked for a long time about how important it is just to know that you don't have to rely on someone else. You don't have to rely on the police who might not be there, who might not come quickly. You know, you can you can protect yourself. And we've seen in many cases where individuals have stood up and, and used that right to protect themselves and to protect others. And I think that's, you know, that's really foundational and was, was certainly deemed uh, foundational to our, our founders who were living under a tyrannical government at the time. They recognized how important it was to be able to defend themselves, to protect their own freedom. Yep. Make it number two on the, uh, on the Bill of Rights is a pretty important position for it, uh, inextricably uh, intertwined, I believe, with the First Amendment. I, I know one thing, that uh, it, it, the idea that you can have a gun in your home, but you can't have it in your car or your on your person, it, it, it's okay to defend yourself if you're at home, but you can't defend yourself if you're uh, you know, at the shopping mall. It is a preposterous uh, position to, for any court, I think, to take. But there it is. I'll take what we've got, and another win it is for the Second Amendment. Let's turn to uh, to Coach Kennedy and, and that judgment on the right of a coach to kneel at the 50-yard line and pray. Uh, your reaction to the case, did you expect a victory? You know, I thought after the oral arguments, um, I was I was pretty confident in this case, but also just knowing this court, this is about a decade of an unbroken string of victories for religious liberty at the Supreme Court. Um, and that is so I, I know this is an area the court has been very strong on. And so I was I was optimistic. And, and now that's been vindicated that Coach Kennedy would uh, would be shown that he does have the right to have just individual religious expression. That's what was so amazing here. He's, he was not saying, hey, I want to make the, the team all come and pray with me or, you know, anything like that. He said, I just want to go and be able to pray myself. It doesn't even, he purposely was even timing it for the school's sake, like say, okay, fine, I'm going to do it while they're off, you know, singing the school fight song in the locker room. But I feel like as a Christian, I need to thank God for, you know, let, allowing me to, to work in this way, allowing me to have this game and the success and no one got hurt, et cetera. And um, so he uh, he just wanted to do that himself. And they, and they said that even just praying individually was somehow so coercive that it violates the, the establishment clause, that that is establishing a religion to just let a teacher pray by himself. And one of the things that the opinion pointed out is this is it was such an extreme position 
you could argue that public school teachers wouldn't be allowed to pray over their lunch if they're eating in the school cafeteria. Because what if some students saw them and, you know, somehow felt coerced or felt that the government now has endorsed a religion, you know, let alone the fact that you could have a Muslim teacher and a Jewish teacher and a Christian teacher and whatever, you know, all praying different prayers uh, over their lunches. Somehow the state is establishing all the religions. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's a level of extreme misconstruction of that clause that was happening. And the court has finally, you know, tried to set that right. Now it's been trying for quite a while. And it was it, the, the, the opinion pointed this out, like, gosh, we've tried to clarify this, this standard for you in a while. And some of the lower courts, it seems to not want to get it. This was coming out of the ninth circuit, which is known for being one of the more activist and liberal courts. So I'm glad to see them get, uh, you know, get corrected yet again. You know, liberal is an interesting word in 2022, isn't it? Uh, the Ninth Circuit is liberal uh, in, in the most coercive way imaginable in denying the First <laughs> yeah. Amendment, denying the Second Amendment, denying the Fourth Amendment. Uh, it is uh, the word liberal. Uh, I'm a product of the 60s where liberal meant free expression, uh, free spirits, uh, and uh, an open mind. Uh, we have an authoritarian impulse running throughout the American left, the Marxist left that now controls the Democratic Party by, uh, you know, it's just straightforwardly obvious and empirical. There is no argument about it. And to see this court stand against against this uh, historic a wave within our society is to me an act of great courage, uh, the likes of which I can't uh, I can't recall in the Supreme Court. This is a special group of people. These five justices, with the courage, the intellect, and the philosophy of original uh, original interpretation of the of the court, uh, textualists, if you will. Uh, they are a, a, just a heaven-sent uh, group of justices that are really making history. Uh, yeah, having having a majority, and in this case, we actually even had six justices join. Because Chief Justice Roberts, um, religious freedom is an area that he has been pretty reliably going on, so that's, that is great. Um, and that we have these justices who are willing to do so, even at a time when there's so much, you know, protests and outrage and threats and intimidation against them that that they have the courage to stand up and say, yeah, but my job isn't to try to read opinion polls, it's not to try to even, you know, do what I think is maybe going to keep myself or my family physically safe, because there's been, there have been, obviously not about this case, more about the abortion case, but there there have been some real pressures on the court, and that we that we do nonetheless have a majority of justices willing to stand up and say, yeah, but I took an oath, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, and that's what I'm going to do. When Justice Kavanaugh was threatened, uh, a man trying to kill him, when uh, there's an argument in the Congress and Justice Roberts is mum on the issue of security for the justices uh, and the attacks on them, the intimidation, uh, even as there is a federal law against against demonstrating and trying to intimidate judges. What do you make of his silence? You know, I, I, I'm not... I, I, the Chief Justice doesn't make a lot of statements, and I, I actually do think he has been strong enough in terms of rejecting things, you know, like the actual uh, assassination attempt of one of his colleagues. Um, what, what concerns me more, you know, in terms of people not speaking, is the president himself, who not only is not rejected the idea of people 
protesting in front of the justice's home. Like we all recognize you can you can protest in front of the court, obviously keep it peaceful. And thankfully, some of the, the threats that there's going to be a night of rage did not pan out. So that's good. But the, pre- the president has really just kind of encouraged these people who are going to the private homes of these judges, including those who have children still living at home. I mean, that's really outrageous. In terms of Chief Justice Roberts, the thing that makes me most frustrated, the thing that he has the most power to address is finding the leaker. This leak of the draft opinion of Dobbs is just an outrageous violation of of um, the institution of the court. It's a violation of their privacy and their confidentiality. So someone at the court, presumably a clerk for one of the liberal justices, but we don't, we still don't know, you know, uh, over two, about two months ago now has, has leaked this opinion. We've never had that happen in American history before. And the chief I, I mean, we we had reports that he's doing investigations, but how hard can it be? You've got really a few dozen people who all work in the court building. I, I, I just don't understand how, how hard it could be to figure out which one of these people leaked it. Because if you don't, this term, we were horrified and shocked, and we saw all sorts of negative consequences from this one leak of one decision. What's going to happen next term? Five decisions? Ten decisions? Because as long as it's perceived as, hey, They'll never catch us anyway. There'll be no negative consequences. Um, I, I just don't see how, how this is going to not completely undermine uh, the court as an institution. And these clerks are leaving starting next week. I mean, they're, they're done. They're going to go off and start working for a big law firm and, and pull in what's now up to a $400,000 bonus. And so one of these clerks is going to be getting nearly half a million dollar bonus for you know, building his his or her resume on an institution that they're helping to destroy, I just it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it because I, when I clerked there, the chief justice was very concerned about confidentiality and and maintaining your your obligations uh, to the court in that way. So I, I don't understand why he has not taken stronger action on that. But I think it's going to have some very serious consequences um, undermining the court itself. His words, I don't even recall his words, Carrie. You mentioned you weren't so concerned about his statements uh, that you felt were strong enough. I honestly can't remember a single word this man said about the security for the justices or enforcing the law against intimidation of Supreme Court justices. Can you refresh my memory? (laughs) You know, I guess it's that I'm not as concerned about that because I don't maybe expect him as much as a the judges don't normally make comments but i think you're 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 probably right i i am not now maybe he has made a statement on it that i don't know of but i i i just view that as not as much his job as finding the leaker him or herself and um and the fact that the white house has basically endorsed these protests um just really makes my blood boil um but yeah i so i'm not i'm not even sure what the chief justice has said on that but i again i think that his what he what he clearly has the authority to do to help uh stop this kind of thing from happening again he has not done yeah i i think that we're ending up here in agreement uh and uh, i would say that uh, there is such a thing, I'm inventing this expression right now, but there is such a thing as the critical judgment of low expectations. And it seems <laughs> it seems to me that you and I have different expectations of the Chief Justice. Uh, and perhaps you know him better than me, perhaps not. But 
I, I swear to you, the man has has found so many ways to disappoint uh, that I no longer have uh, much of a, an expectation either of him. That's a shame. Uh, let, let's turn to where really he failed, I think, again, and that was on the overturning of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. The, this 5-4 decision is uh, miraculous, it is wonderful, it is historic, it is uh, powerful, and it is giving an entire nation an opportunity uh, to bow their heads and seek forgiveness and to do far better. Uh, Whether you are religious or not, this is a historic opportunity for the nation, and it sets right the Constitution. Uh, Your thoughts on uh, the case, uh, the Dobbs case, uh, and their rulings uh, and the overturning of uh, both uh, Casey and uh, Roe. Yeah, I mean, as I was saying before, the, the amount of courage it took to decide this case well um, can't be uh, overstated because, it, and we've seen so many times just justices walk up to doing so and um, and blink. And that's what happened in 1991. So we've been 30 years uh, waiting, or 1992, I guess the case was decided. 30 years we've been uh, still operating under this regime because the court was ready to overturn it back then. And um, even though they, their opinion basically still couldn't make sense of how a right to abortion is actually in the Constitution, they just said, well, we don't want to, we don't rock the apple cart here. We don't want to, we don't want to upset things. This court has said, you know what? Sometimes a decision is so egregiously wrong that you have to overturn prior precedent. And that they, they talked, which I think was a, a, a great analogy about Brown versus Board of Education, where for more than this 50 years, the, the precedent was set that separate but equal is fine. And we had a, the South had a whole you know, legal system based upon that notion. That, oh, yeah, sure. You can have segregation. You can have separate but equal. And then finally, the court found the courage to say, actually, no, that was wrong. We were wrong. We acknowledge that, and we need to go back and start over. And it was not easy, and I don't think it's going to be necessarily easy in this case either, although in many cases I think it will be more so because this case, it's not overriding any state laws. It's really just letting the, state, the states do what they, what they either were doing before or what they've decided to do since. Um, so in many states, it's not going to even affect uh, what, their, what their abortion laws are. And now it really gives the American people the, the, the opportunity to – uh, discuss and decide how to address this issue. But to have um, it, it, something read into the Constitution, like happened in Roe versus Wade, a right that has, was, had never existed in America, suddenly declared out of the blue to be not just a right, but like a, a the prime, primordial right of like, this is one of the highest rights in the Constitution. Um, that was crazy. And that, was, that, that is kind of the definition of judicial activism. So I think taking that out of, of our legal jurisprudence um, is, is a huge step forward in recognizing that our Constitution needs, you know, says what it means, means what it says, and the judges aren't the ones who get to make things up to, uh, to invent constitutional law out of whole cloth. These five justices that I mentioned, obviously, uh, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, uh, Barrett, uh, these uh, these are, and, and John Roberts uh, necessarily as the chief justice. He, their chief justice is adrift. 
he is a man that you cannot, uh, you know, he can't find Compass North. Uh, he He's just in a fog, and, and he doesn't seem to be able to escape. He voted with the liberals. He voted with the conservatives. He is supposed to be a constitutionalist, is he not? And how does he get so far off tacking as he tries to wind his way through the through the law and the Constitution? Well, uh, you know, yeah, I, I love that you referenced his ability, his ability to find his way north, because I saw a great quote by Justice Thomas, who was funny last uh, earlier this, this year. Someone inadvertently called him Chief Justice Thomas at one of the arguments. And I think a lot of people thought I, 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 I'll go with that. I, I would love to have a Chief Justice Thomas. Let's let's just because. For, for oh, all of his attempts, yeah, exactly. For all of his attempts to kind of do what he maybe thinks is helping the institution of the court, Chief Justice Roberts has not been a leader on that court. He is one that seems to be vacillating. He's one that seems to be a fo- following the trends rather than standing up and saying this is this is what's right. Whereas Chief Justice Tom, or not Chief Justice Justice Thomas, has really filled that role. And he, there was a great great um, video clip. That I just saw on Twitter today. I hadn't seen it before, where he was saying, "You know what? The challenge is, if you're if you're in a hurricane, north is still north. If you can't see which way you're going, north is still north. If you're being tossed around in the on the seas, north is still north. And you have to be able to set your compass and just follow that, regardless of the crazy stuff going on around you. Is it a calm day? Is it a foggy day? It doesn't matter. You still keep your punch, p- compass pointed dead north. And that is something that's really characterized." his 30 years in the court. And I think that's what made him the real intellectual leader of the conservative bench. When he started, he was, he was almost alone. It was him and Justice Scalia, basically. And now to finally be the point where you have a majority of the justices who adhere to that, those type of principles of, you know what, we have to go north, you know, come hell or high water. This is what we, this is what we're the direction we're supposed to go. That's wonderful. And I, and um, you know, I, I wish, I wish the chief, Adhered to that as well, but I'm glad we at least have leadership, even if it's not technically sitting in the chief's chair. Yeah, I I, I admire your tolerance, and you are a much better person than I am. I expect so much more of a chief justice that I I, I struggle with John Roberts uh, and have a hard time forgiving him his past sins, but I will overcome that and uh, <laughs> and, and deal with what is uh, rather than what might be but what might be is even uh, more splendid than what we've got uh but i'll take the miracle that we have how's that the <laughs> the idea that the court right now is has five solid constitutionalists on it the issues that we're looking at uh speaking of past sense this is also the same court that did not take up two opportunities to uh intervene in the election of 2020 despite despite I, I think very clear cause, uh, particularly with the lawsuit uh, from the states uh, seeking redress, uh, which is their response, the Supreme Court's responsibility. They denied it. Uh, it was a, a, a ruling of convenience, in my opinion. Going forward here, we're going to have, it appears, uh, another round of great unsettled and uh, disturbing uh, events in our election of 2020, because the Republicans have done nothing to shore up 
of the integrity of the election. We're hearing reports, and partic- uh, with your co-author, Molly Hemingway, uh, reporting about the Biden administration's, uh, at least the fear that the Biden administration is federalizing in some ways this election uh, and making moves that are completely unavailable uh, to the uh, to the prying eyes of the national media uh, or to the American people. It looks very bad. It looks like this administration is preparing something for the election. Uh, even FOIA requests, according to Molly's reporting, uh, are not being honored. And we know that the, they're up to something. Uh, give us a sense, if you will, uh, your sense of what is going on with this White House and the election of 2022? Well, you know, we've, we've seen that just like they were trying to do in uh, in uh, 2020, they're trying to change the, um, the legal system to open the door to uh, just e- easy ways to bo- boost the Democrat uh, voting group and to, and to undermine the uh, the ability to ensure election integrity. And that's what's so discouraging. I think it's, it's been good to see some places, you know, like like Georgia with their their Jim Eagle or whatever Biden was calling it, Jim Crow 2.0 law. I mean, um, just standing up for common sense things. And what's so funny is, you know, this is an, a, another issue that came up when I was Clerking now, 15 years ago, there was a question: Is is requiring voter ID constitutional? And the answer was yes, absolutely constitutional. And yet, you still have people, all these years later, saying, "Oh, we can't do that. That would be, you know, they have all sorts of arguments." And it's like, no, no, no. This has already been decided. Um, it is not. It's not that hard. And it's it's something that most Americans, including Democrats, recognize. We everyone we we, we actually want to have be able to have confidence in our elections. It's it's really just the um, Democrat legislators we've seen are more interested in figuring out how to game the system than in actually maintaining that election integrity. So um, I think, I think you, like you, so I'm many sorry, of Gary. the issues, they're overreaching on this and in a way that's beyond even where their base is. Maybe not the radicals. The radicals just want, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. But I think the most of the base recognizes the importance of election integrity in both parties, amazingly. What is the principle that you think, again, so everyone is clear, the principle that you think the left and the right agree on in terms of election integrity? Because well, we just, we just I, didn't I don't see think... a sign of it in 2020. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not saying that the Democrat uh, leaders and the loud voices in, in the Democrat Party are standing for these principles. But I'm saying when you look at surveys of actual Americans, even Across the board, the Democrats are recognizing that, you know, you ask, they, they say that this is somehow racist, but you survey and, and black Americans recognize that they want to have voter ID, too. So this is something that I think that is one of these many issues that because um, they're listening to the loudest, most radical voices, the deep pockets, really, because I think that's what's driving a lot of right. this. The left wants to go where where the, the money is. And those people are pushing some of the most radical policies that I think is not just to the left of common sense. But it's to the left of most America, including uh, many Democrat voters who are like, yeah, guys, you know, this is this is beyond just just like we were talking about, you know, what it means to be a, a, a good old fashioned liberal where you can have a debate about 
different ideas and, 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 and hash that out. That used to be a liberal idea. Now it's somehow a conservative idea because the left has moved so far left that the, that the center has shifted. Just the idea of, you know, all, they're, they're taking things so far to the left um, that I think they're leaving a lot, of, a lot of Americans behind. I think they're doing that on uh, voter ID and, and a lot of these voting measures as well. I, the, the challenge is you've got such lockstep amongst the Democrat politicians that they're, they're full steam ahead regardless. And that's, uh, that's really scary. There, I think that we all have to recognize in this country, whether you're liberal, conservative, uh, Democrat, Republican, or independent, the Democrats are now driven by Marxist Dems. Uh, there's no question about that. They are not only, they're not only carrying impulses of authoritarianism, much of the party has moved straight forward to totalitarianism. Uh, it's, the expression is found in uh, the J6, in two impeachments of a president uh, who was found absolute, it was absolutely exonerated, three years of an FBI investigation. That was an attempt to not only intimidate a president, but to overthrow a president, uh, and to do so uh, with every weaponized element available to the Marxist Dems, that is, the Democratic Party, uh, the legal system the court system, the Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, the national media. Uh, it, there was no, no element that was not weaponized in federal government against uh, the president, uh, against the Republicans, and against the American voter in order to achieve uh, what they gained in 2020, which was the election of a man who the, bar- the Attorney General of the United States understood had lied in front of the American people, and through that lie in the second and final debate of 2020, won the election using Russian disinformation as a shield, and the sword was already the Zuckerberg half-trillion uh, ballot trafficking and uh, and unwatched, uh, unwatched drop boxes across the country. Uh, we always give our guests the last word, and Carrie... That is your opportunity. We thank you for being with us. Uh, your concluding thoughts on all of this. Yeah, you know, I think this term is just really an illustration of how important keeping an eye on the the main issues and just continuing to work despite um, setbacks it has been. This, this court is not something that happened overnight. It's not even something that just happened in uh, the last uh, presidency, although that certainly, you know, was the was the uh, crowning achievement of it. We got these last three justices who really put us over the edge. But this has been something that has been in, in the works since the 80s, you know, since Robert Bork was attacked. And then Republicans, you know, it took them a few generations to kind of learn to fight back. I feel like we're always a little generation behind or so on catching up with the techniques. But we, yeah. have, we have learned, we have built a court and, and, and built really a a movement of of uh, lawyers who understand how to uh, how to interpret and the Constitution and how to be faithful to that, and I think we have the American people now recognize this how important that is, and we're bearing that's bearing fruit. We're starting to see the Constitution enforced as it's written, not erasing rights that are in there, like the Second Amendment, not inventing rights that aren't in there, like like the right to abortion, and I think that's that's something to really celebrate. But it's something that could be gone in a heartbeat if. Uh, and so that's got the opportunity. So we have to definitely continue to make sure we hold our our, uh, our politicians to high standards and appoint to the kind of judges who are going to keep our Constitution um, uh, faithfully. 
let me ask you just one last question uh, based on your concluding comments. Does this all lead you to believe that if there are irregularities, if there is widespread uh, anomalies and questions about the election in 2022, which seems to me right now to be all but assured, do you believe the courts will now take up uh, the issue of uh, current fraud, uh, suspicions of fraud or irregularities uh, or uh, in improprieties with also the presence of some illegality, do you think they will actually have the courage this time to take it up? Uh, I, I, I wish I knew the answer to that question. Um, I, I like to think uh, that they would. I think I'm hopeful that, um, you know, there ha- there hasn't been nothing that's been done in the meantime, but I think we need to make sure that our laws are, it, 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 the, the laws that are on the books stay on the books and don't get kind of changed the last minute like what's happening. I was disappointed the court didn't didn't take up some of those last minute shenanigans and changes to the state laws. But I'm optimistic that at this point, they kind of have seen what happens when you just let things go and have learned the lesson of, you know what, sometimes you just need to give them, give people an answer and step up and do the hard, hard uh, thing. So I'm optimistic that we'll be able to have a, a, um, a process this this election. Look, there's always going to be issues, but I, I think we're moving in the right direction. Carrie, we thank you very much uh, for being with us. We uh, appreciate your judgment and your insight and your knowledge. And uh, thank you so much. Come back soon, would you please? All right. Have a great day. Carrie Campbell Severino, president of the Judicial Crisis Network. Tomorrow here on the Great America Show will be our friend and great patriot, Mark Simone on all that's happening as we enter the Independence Day weekend. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you, and God bless America.